Has everybody got a handout, you think? Yeah, it looks like it. Does everybody have a handout that starts to make a joyful noise? Anybody not have one? You really don't have one? I kept giving you one. Are there, are there any extras? Yes. Oh, no. Thanks. Anybody else? There doesn't seem to be a shortage. This is such a luxury to be in this beautiful place with a trusty hench person who can give things out and wonderful acoustics. And so far, you all are pretty well behaved. I, I've taught for 50 years, so actually more than 50 years, so you know, the whole thing is, is luxury. I'm Florinda Harris, and in a little while I'm going to find out who you are. There are a couple people here that I really do know, and if I know you, but I'm acting as if I've never seen you before, and I entire well just bump it up to somebody or something, but um, I am glad to see some familiar faces, and I'm also really happy to see some unfamiliar faces. I see people who I know are poets. I see people who I will soon, you know, they will soon introduce themselves to us as as poets or uh, not. It's okay not to have ever written a poem in your life and not to even really like it very much. Sometimes that's refreshing. But at any rate, I think you will um, make some joyful and also angry silly moves that are ugly noise tonight because it's my feeling that the sound is so key and so crucial to poetry. And when um, people ask, well, how do you tell when something's a poem? The real answer sounds like it came out of a Charles Schultz uh, cartoon. Um, it was Lucy who said, somebody tells you said it wrong. The real reason, I mean, the way you tell something is a poem is because the author said it was. And that means you can judge it accordingly, too. If you don't think it's a poem, you can sniff at it and say, no, that's not a poem. But it's my theory that the true component that distinguishes poetry from many other activities is that in addition to making sense, it also makes sound. And the sound is almost inevitably part of the sense. So this, uh, the handouts tonight all have to do with poems that in one way or another um, incorporate sound as part of their sense. And I do think that's kind of the definition of um, poem. Now, Many of us also write prose, and I would fight to the death to say that I care very much too about the way sense of sound in prose. But I think sound is perhaps even more crucial in poetry, and uh, that's what uh, we will be concentrating on tonight. And um, before that, because I think it's creepy to be with a very small group of people all talking about poetry but having no idea of who they are. I mean, I'm lucky in that at least I know some of them. Let's just get some names here. Um, okay, even though I know you, Leslie, would you tell people your name? I'm Leslie. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you are, wait a minute, you told me before, I forgot. That's okay, Ryan. Ryan. And Sarah. And do you have an H or a no H? I do have an H. I think, I think there's a, there's a seat right here. 
So now, who didn't I? Who did not I? Oh, hi! Oh, hi! Okay. Oh, hi. Okay. Oh, okay. And uh, Thomas. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, Tom. Tom. Thomas. Thomas. Okay. I'm. I'm really so sorry. I was. I was at the wrong angle. And So anyway, um, hi, I'm glad you're here. Now, um, I'm standing right in front of the list with your names on it, so we probably don't need to do other mnemonic devices. I know some dark secrets about your poetry past with many people here, maybe not just accidentally reveal them. But for now, let's just make a joyful noise. Now, I am going to start with a poem that, that troubles people a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like to start, even though it sometimes offends people, I like to start a workshop dealing with sound, with a poem, but the sound is not free and it's very, very repetitive. I know a lot of you are always quite familiar with this poem, but if you're not free, you are. It's a wonderful example of how the noise of the poem is very much part of the meaning of the poem. And, um, okay, just for the heck of it, because I know it's a poem that actually troubles people, I'll take the, I'll take the blame of reading it out loud, but this is about, I'll get on with you and everything else when we're doing something about it. 
out of curiosity. How many people are very familiar with this ball already? It's been around. It really has. Sylvia Plath um, claimed that she intended it as comedy. She wrote it for the literature show on the BBC when she was living as Ted Hughes' wife in London as a teacher in London. You do not do, you do not do anymore the black shoe, which I have lived on the foot for 30 years before, barely daring to breathe in got you. Then I had to kill you. You died before I had time. Marble heavy, a phantom of God, ghastly statue of one gray toe, big as a disco seal. And ahead of the fish of black, where it pulls green, green over blue, and the waters like In the German town, in the Polish town, straight black on roller of wars, wars, wars. But the name of the town is common. My Powat friend says there are a dozen or two. So I never could tell where you put your foot with me. I never could talk to you. The town is stuck in my tongue. It's stuck in my blind water snare. <laughs> I could hardly speak. I thought every German was you. I began to talk with you. I think I was a Jewish. The snows of the Tyrol, the clear year of Vienna, are not very pure and true. With my gypsy ancestors and my weird luck, I may be a little Jew. I've always been scared of you with your father, your cobbled hood, and your beaten stash, and your Aryan So, Daddy, I'm finally through. The black hole comes off the room. The voices just can't have food. If I kill one man, I kill two. If the vampire who said he was here, he drank my blood for a year. Seven years, if you want to know, Daddy. You can find out. There's a stake in the black, black heart and the villagers know that. Sing and stand with the villagers. The villagers do it.
in addition to that, I think it's, it's perfectly clear, even if you've heard it a thousand times, or you've never heard it before, that the sounds are unpretty, and that there's at least one, I think it's one that dominates them all. There are two significant sounds here, but I think there's one that really is repeated so often that even maybe a first listen helps identify it. What sound do you hear more than anything else in this poem? Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. 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 Yeah. Ooh. yeah. So now let's contemplate ooh, ooh. as a sound. Ooh. Well, now that's interesting. Very good question because we think that there's a certain kind of ew that's automatically disgusting. And I guess mentally, I personally spell it kind of like that, you know, sort of ew. But then if you think how close that is to I love you, there's nothing necessarily all that intrinsically awful about you. You is actually pretty nice. Now, when you performatively add body language and emphasis to it, yeah, of course it becomes not you, but you. But then let's think about who. Because this poem is full of who, also, I guess, mentally. I, how do you spell who? String. Let's be cartoon-like and do just a whole string of blues here. Okay, so we think, oh yeah, well that's automatically a sound of wonder and delight, as in what you say when you look at fireworks. But then think of the sound you make if you happen to hear some particularly awful comment by your unfavoritist politician. <laughs> I mean, you know, that ooh sound performatively, of course, changes radically. And not everybody makes that noise. You also may say yuck, latch, yeah, you know, and make other weird noises. But I'm thinking specifically about ooh, because ooh is the sound that's just reeking out of this particular poem. And if you look at it, it's spelled all different ways. It's even spelled Germanically. And that, again, is a slightly different. Yeah. And I think uh, when I have heard uh, that, she doesn't actually do a big 
which is has become a word, but it's made up words and nonsense. But there, if you look at all the permutations of the literature, um, some of you, I expect, who have mentally said, no, Platt came from New England. She didn't say root. She probably said root. But even so, it's still got a root sound in it. So there's a lot of discussed reading out of this poem. And of course, by context, you know she's not saying, hmm, the beautiful fireworks. It's the, the other kind of root that means rage, means disgust.
Well, I think probably some people are offended by the fact that, that she sort of assumed, she kind of co-opted Jewishness as a sign of her victim. That's, I mean, that's a, a sort well, of Well, anybody who's going to play the victim. That's, I think that's, 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 that's the complaint that we hear. A lot of people didn't make it out of that period. Because, like I said, it's not just the war, they had the depression going on at times. They didn't have the basics like food and clothing. And not just the person here and there, but everybody. And that, that's really hard, because you can't go to somebody and ask for help. So it was really, it's a wonder the whole country got the whole world went clinically Uh, comments on the poems that are the most iconic and famous, the more they think 
this is not as good as, say, Lady Lazarus or Placid or Best. What do you think? This is one of my very favorite poems by her. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I said Lady Lazarus is about suicide. Yeah, very specifically. And she's tried to commit suicide several times. Yeah, that's what she says in this poem. She talks about I tried to get back to you. You know, twice without success. Mm -hmm. Instead of Peggy, you can you want to make a deal with the people nearby right now, or you can just you can just you can just jab the person next to you and say your turn. Um, okay, the bells by Edgar Allan Poe. Hear the splendors with the bells, silver bells. What a world of merriment their merit, their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night, while the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle with a crystalline delight. Keep time, keep time, keeping time, 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 and a sort of runic rhyme to the tin 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 tinnabulation that so musically wells from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. Here the bell of wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness the harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight, and the molten golden notes, and all in tune, with a liquid dew floats, and the turtle dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from the sounding cells, with a gush of euphony, voluminously wells, how it swells, how, it's, how it dwells on the future, how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells, 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 of the bells, 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 to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells. Hear the loud alarm bells, drowsy bells. What a tell of terror, now their turbulence tells. In the startling ear of night, how they scream out there of fright. Too much horrified to speak. They can only shriek, shriek, out of tune. In a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire. In a mad ex expostulation. What if the death and frantic fire? Leaping higher, 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 with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor. Now, now to sit or never, by the side of the pale face move. Oh, the bells, bells, bells. What a tell their terror tells of despair, how they cling and crash and roar. With what a horror they outpour on the blossom. 
Hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monody compels. In the silence of the night, how we shiver with affright at the melancholy menace of their tone. For every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan. And the people, ah, the people, they that dwell upon the steeple all alone, and who, tolling, 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 in that muffled monologue, feel the glory in so rolling on the human heart of stone. They are neither man nor woman. They are neither brute nor human. They are ghouls, and their king it is who tolls, and he rolls, 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 a pan from the bells. And his merry bosom swells with the paean of the bells. And he dances and he yells, keeping time, 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 a sort of runic rhyme to the paean of the bells, of the bells, keeping time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the sobbing of the bells, keeping time, 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 as he knells, knells, knells in a happy runic rhyme to the rolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the tolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells. Yeah, I always thought it had plenty of I'm sorry, I always thought it was actually Different kinds of sounds, but if you had to pick an alphabet letter that's really 
time with Bell, actually. And Bell is distinguished by having a B, of course, but it's also got L's. And does anybody know or remember from some past um, course involving linguistics, what, what's the name for the L sound? It's also for the R sound, huh? It's, a, it's, it's liquid. I mean, that's one of the um, diction words for, for the sound that the L makes. It's regarded as liquid, and uh, as is the R also. Juicily roll off, roll off the tongue. So the, and even the word golden has a, of course, it has a meaning to it. So I think when you think of a golden bell, you think of a specific kind of sound. Maybe you don't. Do any of you associate a kind of sound with a golden bell? Mm -hmm. Yeah, regal sound. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, so he, he mentions the runic rhyme repeatedly as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, yeah. well, uh, when you said different kinds of bells, even though he's mentioning different kinds of bells, he's tying bells together in time, time, time. Yeah. So whether it's a sleigh bell or whether it's a church bell, it's this brunette prime in time. Right, and another word that's a favorite of his here that's repeated often, that's a really good point, because I, from what Paul has said about the poem, he wanted all the bells to start ringing together. So having repetition really is helpful there. And there's another word that he repeats very often, obviously bells, bells, bells. Um, and you mentioned ringing it rhyme. He repeats those words twice. But did you notice that the moon comes in and out of here a lot? The ooh yeah. sound again. But it, um, it has the same middle sound as, as ringing. And it has the same sound as ringing has in the middle of it. Halloween cards to 
But also, I mean, that, well, your point is, is perfectly taken about the, the movement from silver to uh, iron. Right. And uh, but just think about the words. We're so lucky. I mean, English is such a mess in so many ways. But in some ways, it's just terrific because uh, silver has that short iron. It tinkles a little bit. Bronze. You know, you just can't not kind of 
do that with the word gone, so with the N's and the O, and you know, so we're just fortunate that some of our words really, really are on a bit, which uh, it's just lucky. And many of our words really are. I mean, words that are legitimate words, not ooh, ah, and pow, and zap, but slap, and crack, and then person makes full use of that richness here. Um, yeah, and, and you're right, it does sort of teach you where it's going. As soon as you look at the silver, you get cold. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, I have a lot of horrific metals in the room. What I'd like to do is, you know, I do seem to have been sort of, um, I don't know, one for talking to but because Valentine's Day is approaching, this also gives me a segue to point out that if you're going to be here next week, not only are we going to write Valentine's for ourselves, the ones we didn't get, but um, we are inviting anybody who wants to to bring in a favorite love poem, a love poem of any kind, a love poem. Uh, yeah, any, any, any old love poem. Yeah. You don't have to do this because this is not about assignments, but since it seems kind of appropriate, we have just passed the commercial amazement that is Valentine's Day, uh, which nevertheless can have been in the mail sometimes, or make us look at the mail thinking, where is mine? Um, yeah, um, but if anybody feels like bringing in a favorite love poem, and um, you don't even have to be willing to read it out loud. Somebody will read it for you if you want to have us do that. I hope you'll do it. But don't let that possibility scare you from actually bringing them at home. Um, people laugh at me when I say this, and it's on page 11. This is one of my favorite books to call the whole time. And it's partly because I love the sounds, and I think Theodore Rector is a genius with sounds. And I love it, I love it. Oh, you put it in Is there an eraser? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to list the things that we use as a name. Lisa. My daughter's name is Lisa. And let's see. There was, yes, there you are. Rose. Rose. And Mia. Mia. My lizard, my, li my lively writer, 
May your limbs never wither. May the eyes in your face survive the green ice of envy's mean gaze. May you live out your life without hate, without grief. May your hair ever blaze in the sun, in the sun, when I am undone, when I am no one. It's interesting to contrast a, a sound with an idea, yeah. you know, like, this doesn't, the, the words, the ice and gaze and mean green, things like that, you don't see them, or I don't, it doesn't feel like a love poem or a poem about love, but it, it obviously is by the words, but the sounds have an edge to them that uh, doesn't feel, so it feels like there's kind of a contrast between mm -hmm. the idea of love and the sound of the words, the Z's, to me, you know, doesn't really feel like a, a lovely word, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. A lovely sound. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously, to me anyway, it seems like a love poem. Mm -hmm. yeah. It has everything. It has a fashion and an edgy humor. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he's revealing his insecurity because he wants a younger wife, a younger woman, and the green ice is other people that would covet her. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, when I'm gone, 
uh, he's begrudgingly wishing her well. That's sort of what I'm getting at. Why, why do you think it's grudging? I mean, I'm just curious. Because she will still be young and be able to get another husband. But he won't be So he's lying when he says, may you live out your life without me, without me. No, he's saying, I'm, I'm not saying he's lying, I'm saying he, he says he's a god. He's a god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's saying it, you know, with difficulty. Because yeah. he sounds like he's jealous, he sounds like, you know, someone who's chasing somebody under and he's when I said he was insecure, does she love me for me, or you know what will happen when I'm gone? Mm -hmm. so, um, he said, you're saying he's just picturing it. He says, yeah, he's saying when I'm gone. Clearly, he's saying when I'm dead. Um, you know, may you may you look beautiful forever, but he's sort of saying it half-heartedly because there'll be some after him.
sun, they don't wither, they don't seem emotional, they don't have emotion, they kind of just sit there. So they kind of envious if you're around that area, you, uh, uh, you we have to drink water. A lizard makes you envious because they can stand the temperatures and just sit and run through driveways in the desert. And I think he's kind of the symbolism per in that way. And there's another thing that, that I, I think some of the guys would also mention is not only is the lizard uh, something that in many cultures is regarded as beautiful. I mean, in the Mexican art, there are lizards just all over the place, mm -hmm. as there are in actual Mexico. So we have lizards as something that's, that are also very potent because they're the children of destructive. But also, folks, my lively rider. <laughs>
a, a, a tiny spell. It's, it's, it's writing. It's original writing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like sunset things and other words. They're writings that are done in which have direct things to their iconography, which alphabets eventually come out. Right. Yeah, but initially they were they were tiny carbon spells. And um, so I always say this kind of this is kind of like to protect this young life, but I also see the point you're making, what's great about the point you're making is that based on the words of the poem, you know, you have to be the poem you wanted it to be. It's it's a poem that's based on the words. And I actually do get that way too, because it never occurred to me truthfully that um, it's so obvious now that it's easy to take the title and say, I wish I had it.
old blues, swaying to and fro on his rickety stool. He played that sad, raggedy tune like a musical fool. Sweet blues coming from a black man's soul. Old blues. In a deep song voice with a melancholy tone, I heard that Negro sing that old piano moan. Ain't got nobody in all this world. Ain't got nobody but myself. I was going to quit my frowing. Frowing. And put my troubles on the shelf. Thump, thump, thump when it's put on the floor. He played a few chords, then he sang some more. I got the weary blues and I can't be satisfied. Got the weary blues and can't be satisfied. I ain't happy no more. And I wish that I hadn't died. And far into the night he crooned that tune, the stars went out and so did the moon. The singer stopped playing and went to bed, while the weary blues echoed through his head. He slept like a rock or a man that's dead. Responses. Just, just, just read it to us again. Well, actually, well, I think it's. I think we can say the whole thing is bluesy because of the repetition of the words. I was thinking about the traditional. There are a couple of traditional blues stanzas that. Um, Stanzas? Yeah, there's it's a stanza form that that it's interesting that that Andy's uh, St. Louis blues illustrates most of the, the main blues stanzas. Um, and one of them is the twelve bar. Woke up this morning with an old boy in head. Woke up this morning with a partner. I hate to see that even sun go down. I hate to see that even sun go down because that man. Same blues, really. What about his own music there? How, responses to that? 
What about the length of use music that's here that doesn't follow the standard, familiar 12-bar blues pattern? I mean, I hate to say it, but I think if I were writing this poem, I would just try to write a whole blues song. And it would be just is, is it to sort of like, is it, is it to kind of put you there in the scene yeah. so that you can sort of see somebody actually play? Yeah. You know, to sort of visualize, uh, you know, a guy playing music. Right, because if he had tried to embed this in his own blues song, the spotlight would be on him, right? Look at me, Lexi Hughes. Yeah, I can do right. everything, including write, you know, write a good blues song and put it thinking it's an old standard. No, the spotlight is on this guy in those standards, yeah. It may be almost a narrative, a narrative and a portrait. Yeah. It's, it's a portrait with a spotlight shining right on the on the performer. But look at look at Langston's own music here. I mean, that's just I think that's just really is, is well worth a, a more than a glance. Which one all seem to flow very well from from the blues. Mind to, to, to mind. And um, yeah, 
think of, think of the most, some of the most famous blues songs that are all about that. I went down to the St. James Infirmary. Oh, wow, that baby there. And so sweet, so cold, so bare. And I don't mean to turn attention to my friend Tom, but we were at a party where the band, it was kind of a blues band, and they played the last thing they played was the St. James Infirmary. And I ate the whole next day and danced to that so hard, you know, the same. Trying to do that, trying to put anything out there. He was really doing what 
sort of makes us feel it too. In a way, yeah. yeah. There's something very heavy about just the sounds of the way it ends. The bed and the head and the dead. And you, you think they're very final sounds. And I don't mean in a negative way. They're just played out. They're, they're it's like the closing of the song. Yeah. yeah. You, you resolve. Like you resolve by going to bed. it as I don't see him as um, happy. I, I, I think that he is weary and um, because far into the night he crooned that tune. I think that he's, he's, the song says, I ain't happy no more. And I think the crooning could be literal or it could be Figurative in the sense that that his, he is living out this unhappiness, mm -hmm. and I see his sleep not really as drifting off peacefully to sleep, but more he slept like a rock. It's kind of like he just passed out from exhaustion. He, he slept like the dead. You know, I just mm -hmm. see that as um, yeah, he just he's just passing out from exhaustion. And um, and also like when the blues when the blues song ends, it ends. So the poem does that same thing. Like blues songs don't like fade away or get quieter. It's a, a constant rhythm, and then suddenly, boom, it ends. So I like the way the poem mirrors that. And also, you you also pointed to another significant thing we didn't talk about. This the song says, "I wish that I died," and then it went on stuff. You know, it's the identity of the, the speaker, the singer of the song. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, it is five of eight. And hmm, there's so much more to say and do. Speaking of weary blues and sleeping like a rock, the employees here are supposed to leave at eight. And it makes them Oh, so sad when we're not going to leave at 8 and it's 5 of 8. I thought it was like 5 after 
seven. I hope you enjoyed these handouts, and I apologize. Two part, there are two problems by me in here, and they're there for only one reason, because I don't like using my own stuff in a workshop, especially when I'm surrounded by poets. But um, the reason they're there is because both of them are written in the same rhythm as The Night Before Christmas, and one is sort of a sexy poem, and the other is sort of a sexy poem, too. And they're both kind of, one's fun and one's kind of serious. But I'm going to experiment and see if I can use what almost seems like a trivial river. And you all know that's the way people are supposed to see the same way. But I was trying to write a poem that wasn't childish at all to a rhythm like that. So it's a serious experiment, so I apologize for that. What book was it? I don't remember. I think both of them were in the Night Parrot. I can't remember. On your way out, you will notice that I brought in some books by, the, by my little publishing company, Brickhouse Books. Please feel free to take them. They're a really mixed bag. And then there's two books there. One is edited by Chesia Thompson, who some of you may know. And it does, I am part of it. And then one I grabbed by accident. It's a book of short stories by me. And I apologize for that, but there it is. It is in my bag. So if anybody, I don't want to take any books home. Hear me. Do not make me take any books home. Take them all if you want to, and you feel sorry for me. So anyway, you've been a wonderful group, and I hope there will be some exhibitors. I hope I can see many or all of you again. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please take a few minutes before you leave to fill out an evaluation that helps us um, plan future programs. No, they're right, they're right over there. I'm sorry. They're over there. So please help yourself. I'm still working on the poetry. Oh, yeah. I will.